It is midday on this Monday, September 13th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Old gang is here once again. Paul Perkins back. He'll give us the lowdown of what we can expect for regional ag weather and in terms of how that may affect you. Maybe early harvest that might be in your region. He'll give us the lowdown coming up in 15 minutes. Jason is in, back from a successful road trip down to Kansas. He'll give you more details on the UNK football team. and uh, Really a successful week for most of Nebraska sports at most levels uh, this past weekend. Bob Rogan is also in. He'll, he'll tell us how stocks are performing to start this brand new week. But as we always do, let's get caught up with our own Susan Littlefield, who's joining us from Grand Island. Susan, how are you doing today? Hey, we're doing great. Setup is underway. The fog has lifted, so it's uh, time to bring on Husker Harvest Days, which officially gets underway tomorrow. Sounds like things are busy there in Grand Island. We're excited for it. I know you guys have been previewing that the entire time, but what do you have for us coming up today? All right, this is what's happening today. Coming up at 1219, we'll talk with the folks at KSU on wheat, nitrogen, and phosphorus management as you get ready to get those crops in the ground. Alex will be on at 1245 as she talks with Mitch Rippey, Director of Nutrition and Education with the Nebraska Beef Council, recapping a state fair and talking about a recent opportunity to educate the collegiate athletes about beef nutrition. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as we hear from Congressman G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania as he talks about science and agriculture. Okay, some good stuff coming up. Enjoy the rest of today, and things are going to get really busy once again tomorrow. All right, sounds good. All right, thank you very much. Let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. Jason, back from a successful road trip down to Pittsburgh State. Yeah, it looks to me, uh, here's your crop report from southeastern Kansas, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm no expert, but okay. I think they're getting pretty close to uh, starting to pick the corn down there. Okay. A little further along, as you might expect, as, sure. as it is here. Well, anyway. That's what we came for. That's actually the, what we needed. That's the report we wanted. Hey, you know, when I travel, I keep, you know, I look at things. I try to come back and help everybody out. So the corn looks good in southeastern Kansas. Very good. Listen, they've got a lot of rain, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they have been uh, pretty well for the most part. But uh, so corn has been successful down there. Uh, UNK was also successful yeah, they down won. there. We'll touch on that. Also talk about Nebraska, Oklahoma on Saturday. Okay, very good. Uh, let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. Sucks. Rose broadly in uh, trading this morning. Investors are trying to shake off the market's biggest weekly drop since June. And also, uh, the Biden administration says it's going to give quite a bit of money to aviation manufacturers to help save jobs. So we'll have details on that. Okay, very good. Uh, by the way, Bob, how are the, uh, just out of your back of the woods, how, how's the crops looking in your area? The crops are looking pretty good, uh, and I have driven around the area a little bit and uh, <laughs> scoped things out. They are looking pretty good. And uh, What are you looking st- at me for? This is your story. <laughs> this is your time to shine, Bob. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I have seen some uh, pretty good crops out there and uh, have enjoyed uh, the fact that folks are having a good crop at this point, and and also, I've noticed that we haven't had a lot of storms. Uh, I mean, some areas of the state have suffered hail damage and so forth, but in this particular area right here, we haven't had a lot of damaging hail storms. Yep, that's very true. Let's knock on wood. Continue. That doesn't happen either. All right, thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's now turn things over to Clay 21. It's time for regional ag weather updates. Paul Perkins. 
has more. With the check of your ag weather, I'm Paul Perkins. This afternoon, slightly warm in the normal temperatures with sunshine, the result of a warm front lifting to the north. With low pressure tracking through South Dakota, a few thunderstorms remain possible this afternoon, but mainly in northern areas of Nebraska to the north of Highway 92. Tonight through mainly early tomorrow, thunderstorm chances increase a little bit more with the passing of a cold front. A few storms could be strong to severe with the Storm Prediction Center indicating a low-end marginal risk over west and central areas of Nebraska. Behind that front, the big change tomorrow, daytime highs that are nearly 10 degrees cooler than average in the 70s. A westerly flow warms our temperatures back to seasonal levels for Wednesday and Thursday. A more southerly flow boosting the temperatures to 10 degrees warmer than usual for Friday into the weekend as highs return to around 90. The current forecast is dry, but a straight thunderstorm may pop up with the increase in humidity. In the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures are very likely this weekend through September 26th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. in central Nebraska during late September. Average daytime highs dropped to the mid-70s with average overnight lows dropping to the upper 40s. In a favorable sign for the start of harvest, slightly below normal to near normal rainfall is predicted for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through September 26th. Key weather factors impacting the markets include active weather bringing off and on rain across the Corn Belt, the potential impact of Tropical Storm Nicholas to the Delta, and recovery efforts in wet weather in southern Brazil. Tropical Storm Nicholas will continue to approach the middle Texas coast and should make landfall late today or during the overnight. Nicholas could achieve hurricane intensity before moving inland. The primary threat from Nicholas will be heavy rain, which could total 8 to 16 inches or more in coastal Texas and parts of southern Louisiana, leading to widespread flooding. Other hazards in coastal Texas related to Nicholas may include a 3 to 5 foot storm surge and local wind damage. A cold front currently crossing the northern plains will push southeastward generating a few thunderstorms before eventually interacting with the remnants of Nicholas. In the Midwest, isolated to scattered rain will continue over the next 10 days, and temperatures will continue to be above normal. This will favor maturing corn and soybeans and early harvest. Soil moisture is still favorable in the Midwest for winter wheat planting and establishment. The Southern Plains pattern of dry weather and temperatures remaining above normal will favor maturing corn and soybeans and harvest, but deplete the soil moisture for winter wheat establishment. Southern Brazil's active weather over the next week is a benefit to the wheat and recharging of soil moisture for corn and soybean planting. Central Brazil still awaiting the start of the wet season. Soybean planting restrictions left this week but will need more moisture for seed to soil contact before the planting picks up. Central Brazil's weather expected to remain mostly dry through the end of the month with only isolated showers in Mato Grosso. I'm Paul Perkins. That's a check of your ag weather. Public Power District. Efficiency is always the watchword when it comes to nutrient management for a new winter wheat stand. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Doravar Ruiz-Diaz is a crop nutrient specialist at Kansas State University, and he offers some thoughts on the importance of precision nitrogen application for wheat. On top of the list, obviously, will be nitrogen. We want to make sure and manage nitrogen correctly. Thinking about the price of fertilizer, obviously, we want to emphasize efficiency, and especially putting the fertilizer dollars where we're going to get the most return to investment. Basically, targeting those situations, we're going to see the most uh, yield response. And he said that recent history of the given field is a good place to start. And did the previous crop exhaust all the available nitrogen, or is there some left over? He said growers really need to find this out ahead of planting. 
One of the key factors for us in cancers is the potential to have some residual nitrogen in the profile. And so this is very important, especially as we go in central and western cancers, where we can basically keep a fair amount of nitrogen in the profile, uh, especially if we didn't have yield levels as expected in previous crops. And so obviously we'll have some nitrogen in that situation. But we also have the opposite case where we have maybe excellent yields. And, and in that situation, obviously, we will have very little, if any, nitrogen left. So from that standpoint, uh, we basically focus on, okay, what's been the history, uh, fertilizer nitrogen history in that particular field, what kind of yields we've seen, and obviously evaluating profile nitrogen, which is basically uh, what we recommend is to get uh, ideally to 24 inches and look and see how much nitrogen we have in that profile. He also says not to overlook a key nitrogen source. Organic matter is one of the main sources of, of nitrogen. Uh, and so in our recommendation, we are um, accounting for about 10 pounds of nitrogen that's coming from each percent of organic matter. So we basically need to know what level of organic matter we have in, in each field. It's not an, a value that's going to change a lot, but obviously require a soil testing that we can use and see what kind of levels of organic matter we have. In some situations, we have fairly high organic matter levels, uh, producers maybe with uh, multiple years of no-till systems, where we have a fair amount of cycling of nitrogen already going on. And so in that situation, again, having that organic matter information is another key component on the nitrogen management side. And it's not all about the nitrogen either. Ruiz Diaz advises that wheat growers to take soil samples at more than one depth to account for all the nutrients. What we're really trying to look at here is uh, to look at different types of nutrients. Again, in that 24 profile, we're looking at those uh, mobile nutrients, nitrogen, sulfur, and chloride. With the 0 to 6, we're really targeting the immobile nutrient. Organic matter is one of those, which is going to be a source of, of some of these nutrients. pH, uh, in that 0 to 6, we want to look at pH, uh, especially in conventional tillage. Phosphorus, uh, that's another one that's going to be relying on that 0 to 6 inches. So we really need both uh, samples, ideas, to evaluate these different groups of nutrients. And that'll allow for growers to get a read on a nutrient that often takes a back seat to nitrogen. Thinking about where we may see the most response, uh, the, the most return to investment to fertilizer, wheat is, an, is a crop that responds significantly to phosphorus, and so we need to pay attention to that. Soil sampling at the 0 to 6 inches, see where we are in terms of soil test levels. And that's Dorvar Ruiz Diaz from Kansas State University. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Zero 01. It is time for Midday Sports. Sports Director Jason Jordan is now joining us and some awards, weekly awards, handed out for Nebraska football players. Yeah, how about this? Nebraska's sophomore linebacker Luke Reimer is the Big Ten's Defensive Player of the Week. Following Nebraska's big win over Buffalo, the native of Lincoln totaled up a career-high 16 tackles and had an interception, helping the Blackshirts hold a second straight opponent to single figures. His 16 tackles marked his third career double-figure tackle game and topped his previous best of 12 at Iowa last season. Good for him. He did play well. He seemed to be in on every single play defensively. Yeah, and they were noting it on TV, and, and, on, and Greg was on the radio that he was just out of his mind. 
Another Husker news, the Big Ten and Fox announced just a little bit ago that Nebraska's September 25th game at Michigan State will be a night game. That'll be a 6 o'clock kickoff, game televised by FS1. This week, Nebraska travels to Norman for the big game against Oklahoma. The Huskers were in early. 23-point mm-hmm. underdog, but you tell me, there's been some major action <laughs> on Nebraska's side, and the line has now moved. It has moved to 22. Okay. From the 23 to 22. Maybe it's the award. Maybe they saw the way right. Luke played and got the award. Like, well, let's give him one more. I myself don't think 23 points is enough, <laughs> but that's just one man's opinion. Would we'll you see. take that bet? The 22-under, Nebraska. <laughs> I think Oklahoma covers 22 or 23 pretty easily. Okay. So I'm, I'm not telling you. How about you? I don't think so. No, uh, I, I think you're right. I think Oklahoma, they're just too... And it's at Oklahoma. I don't know. I also think if they get a chance to step on Nebraska, Correct. they're going to do mm-hmm. that because of Nebraska trying to get out of that mm-hmm. game. And it's mm-hmm. Nebraska. And in the past, when Nebraska was down, or when Nebraska was up and Oklahoma was down, the Huskers stepped on them. Correct. So it's called payback. <laughs> Now, if it's you not going to be 30 good. points, I'd think about it. Nah, I don't even know that. Okay. I don't even know that. That's It's it's not going to be good. It, but hopefully we're wrong. Yeah, I, Wait, hope, I hope we're dead wrong. It's not going to be good. A big second half led UNK to a 28-17 win over 23rd-ranked Pittsburgh State on Saturday night. The Lopers actually trailed 70-7 and happened to came roaring back, and head coach Josh Lynn breaks down how they did it. As always, it came out in a little bit different scheme, and it was it was a good scheme. Give those guys credit. And it just took us a little bit offensively to figure it out. We finally figured out what they're doing and we made some adjustments and another thing too what we do we, we, we knew we had to do second half so we had to throw the ball a little bit and I thought uh, we did that enough just to always you know we did that enough to put points on the board and help our running game out a little bit. Quarterback T.J. Davis accounted for four touchdowns with three of those through the air. The Lopers beat the Gorillas back-to-back games for the first mm. time since night in the early 80s. They'll host undefeated Washburn mm. this Saturday at one. That should be a great game. You know you and I had discussed this before leading up to the season that if UNK was to take that next step and really for any program to take that next step you have to win those big road games that's exactly what they did there and they have a sledgehammer of a road schedule in front of them but beating pittsburgh Mm -hmm. in in pittsburgh was big and sad news over the weekend hall of fame center mick tinglehoff died at the age of 81 the lexington native was the ultimate iron man who started 240 consecutive games at center amazing that this farm kid he ended up playing at four super bowls was a five-time all pro selection and thankfully they finally voted him into the hall of fame in 2015 it took him a long time and I don't really understand why. He just kind of got lost in the shuffle there, but undrafted in 1962 out of Nebraska, he went on to play 17 years for the Vikings. And the crazy thing is, he started from day one. Mm-hmm. He showed up mm-hmm. at training camp, some guy from Nebraska, and was a fixture there. He also was one of the uh, uh, stalwarts of Lexington's undefeated 1957 state championship mm-hmm. football squad. Okay, And his funeral will be where? Uh, that'll be way. in Lakeville, Minnesota. Okay. That's where the, he kind of lived after he retired, and that's coming up on Wednesday. Okay. Sounds good. Sad news there, but mm-hmm. uh, heck of a career. It was. Overall. All right. Thank you very much. Thing required. It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder is in, and well, uh, obviously the big news today, especially in central Nebraska and affecting uh, the 
the uh, JBS facilities across the world, essentially. A uh, big fire this morning in Grand Island. Absolutely. Well, our, our uh, news anchor, Bob Brogan, talked with Grand Island Fire Chief Corey Schmidt a little while ago. Fire Chief Schmidt is much relieved to report that they have contained that fire at the JBS facility in the rendering plant area. We, we still have had some firefighters on scene, uh, but overall the, the fire is out. Our crews are... are continuing to put out hot spots and and dig into a a smoldering type fire. Schmidt says a fire was originally reported last evening. When the call came in last night at approximately 9.50 p.m., uh, we actually had visible fire and flames. We responded with uh, three engine companies and a ladder and uh, one one ambulance and also a, a chief officer. As the fire grew, we sent another aerial device and uh, called in some uh, rural agencies to to help assist with our normal calls in, in Grand Island here. But overall, uh, from from the scene last night, it's greatly improved. The fire's contained. Well, the fire was in the roof and walls, making it hard to get out. JBS Swift Grand Island wrote in a Facebook post that shifts A and B would be off today. Fire Chief Schmidt says the fire marshal is looking into the cause of the fire. Well, on the steps, north steps of the state capitol this morning, State Senator Carol Blood announced her candidacy for governor in the upcoming election. Uh, Carol, Senator Blood, is a Democrat. She said during her speech that she wanted to lift up all Nebraskans and shared ways uh, to, in what her words were, defeating toxic polarization. And in Lexington, there was an outage yesterday that impacted more than 1,700 customers in Lexington. It started around 8.10 a.m. after a bird got into equipment at a substation that served the customers affected. Crews made repairs, and all customers were restored by 12.05 p.m. The outage impacted a fairly large portion of Lexington, um, most likely in the central and north sides of the town. And Kansas' state animal, the buffalo, is being celebrated at the Kansas State Fair this year with a 700-pound butter sculpture. The Hutchinson News reports that a sculptor from Iowa, Sarah Pratt, had to do some research on buffaloes before she designed this year's butter statue. Pratt said that if she winds up with any extra butter, she may add a buffalo calf or some sunflowers. Pratt, who teaches school by day, lives in West Des Moines with her husband and three children, all of whom help her out with sculpting from the Kansas State Fair to fairs in Iowa and Illinois. And that's an update of the news. I'm Dave Schroeder. Door. It's time now for this week's Beef Checkup update on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're joined on the phone by Mitch Rippey. He's the Director of Nutrition and Education for the Nebraska Beef Council. Mitch, you rounded off a, a pretty busy week this past week with the Nebraska State Fair. So we'll start off our conversation with that, if you would. Recap the State Fair for us and how it went for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of like you mentioned, you know, I know most people consider the end of August to be that back-to-school season, but for FFA and 4-Hers, Labor Day weekend kind of means the Nebraska State Fair. So over the past couple weekends, um, we were busy engaging with consumers across the state, hosting multiple cooking sessions both weekends in that uh, really cool Raising Nebraska building. And, uh, you know, through a lot of those discussions, it was apparent that, uh, you know, I think a majority of folks are looking for quick, convenient family meals that use – 
some of those essential pantry staples and then to are nutritionally balanced. And, um, you know, while that may sound like quite a task, uh, we were actually able to showcase a couple of different uh, beef and Swiss dinner recipes that really hit all of those marks. So, um, you know, first ground beef, it's probably the most popular and versatile of all the beef products. So uh, we really used that for the base. And then we built out uh, a penne pasta dish that had some fresh tomatoes and fresh basil, um, as well as then kind of a, a beef fried rice dish, too, that uh, incorporated loads of those seasonal vegetables, you know, bell peppers, onions, snow peas. Uh, best of all, I think both options, they could be prepared in less than 30 minutes. Um, and they were really balanced too for those weeknight meal options. So um, beyond that, you know, we use the cuts chart to kind of discuss some selection, preparation, nutritional qualities as some of those uh, most popular, but then also kind of highlighted some underutilized cuts. So all in all, State Fair is always really a, a beneficial event, brings out a lot of engaged consumers and um, feel like they're really excited to kind of learn and, and try some new recipe and meal options with beef. I want to bounce off that a little bit because Adam and I were talking a couple weeks ago that obviously the state fair is for people who are involved in the livestock industry where the students get to show their livestock, but it's also a great chance to bring out the people of Grand Island and and people who might not be directly involved in the ag industry. So I'm curious what kind of interactions you had while you were out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. You know, a lot of the discussions that we had – um, evolved around the selection preparation. We talked a lot about, you know, kitchen hacks, so to speak. Uh, my favorite is kind of a thawing process of beef, right? One of the biggest barriers is is we don't want to add another 20 minutes to the thawing process on beef. So, you know, we showcased the way that we could kind of go from fully frozen, thawed, ready to use ground beef in about four minutes time to try to get those meals on the table. So we talked a lot about cooking, preparation, selection, uh, and of course, you know, being around Labor Day holiday, that's a big kind of beef holiday too. So it was very timely and impactful, I think. All right. Well, moving from Labor Day weekend, we go right into the school season. And another thing that the Nebraska Beef Council has just kind of launched is a sports nutrition focus. And the name Mike Minter might be ringing a bell for a lot of people listening right now. Tell me what's going on on this, Mitch. Yeah, you nailed it there. So uh, the Nebraska Beef Council, we recently partnered with the Campbell University football program down in North Carolina, as well as the North Carolina Beef Council. And then a good partner of ours, uh, her name is Crystal. She's a registered sports dietitian out of Omaha. And we kind of wanted to bring a a taste of the beef state down there to the Tar Heel State. So uh, that was a multi-state collaboration that we really focused on beef as a premier protein for fueling and performance. And we coupled that then, too, with skill development, and uh, hands-on meal preparation for those athletes so that they could really try to implement some of those effective nutrition habits uh, throughout their training season and beyond. So uh, during the event, we actually tasked all of the players on that football team with kind of building some balanced performance meals that featured beef. So uh, the basis of that was, you know, from a pre-session survey, about a third of those athletes indicated that uh, really their lack of knowledge when it came to preparing beef, along with the perception that beef was really in a and expensive protein led them to kind of seek some alternative meal options. So uh, this beef checkoff program really helped offer some education sessions to over 120 student athletes on that Campbell football team that focused on nutrient availability, 
uh, as, as well as that cost per serving analysis of, of various beef dishes. And kind of as a result of that program, 95% of those players stated that they now consume beef at least two to three times per week at a minimum, with over 93% of those players saying that they're now very likely to incorporate more beef into their meals based on that experience. And, you know, you mentioned Mike Minner, and, you know, while that program took place down in North Carolina, Mike Minner is the Campbell football head coach. He's a former Husker, two-time national championship back in those 94-95 seasons, also played 10 years in the NFL, played in the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, he said that really that, that Campbell football program takes a lot of pride in the community collaboration um, and providing these opportunities for kind of enhancing performance, but also building some essential life skills. And, and uh, this experience to him really did both of those. So uh, kind of taking that a step further, based on the success of this program and the benefit to those student athletes, uh, we're now working with the University of Nebraska here in Kearney and their sports dietitian to uh, implement some of these same program opportunities across nearly all of their university uh, sports programs. So we've hosted some sessions with the cross-country team. Um, we have upcoming events scheduled then, too, with the men's and women's basketball teams to continue to feature beef as the premier, premier protein for that athletic performance and fueling. So big things to come. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Mitch, as we round up this conversation, uh, looking up at the calendar for the Nebraska Beef Council, what needs to be on our radar? One thing I'm excited about, we're also going to be bringing about uh, 700 fourth grade students from Kearney and the surrounding areas to uh, the University of Nebraska Kearney. We're going to give them a full day of both nutrition programming and athletic um, kind of physical activity uh, aspects. All that's kind of going to be wrapped around utilizing uh, nutritious food sources, beef specifically as both a meal and a snack option. So uh, a lot of great impact here for some students at a young age too in the Carney and surrounding areas. All right. A lot of cool things happening with the Nebraska Beef Council. That again, Mitch Rippey joining us. He's the Director of Nutrition and Education for the Nebraska Beef Council for this week's Beef Checkoff Update. 50-15. Stocks are rising broadly on Wall Street as the market regains a more solid footing following its biggest weekly drop since June. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan with the Business Report. The S&P 500 added one-tenth of a percent in the early going, with banks and energy companies posting some of the biggest gains. Oil and gas prices were also moving higher. Benchmark U.S. crude added eight-tenths of a percent, crossing back above $70.00. It hasn't closed above that level since early August. House Democrats are unveiling a sweeping proposal for tax hikes on big corporations and the wealthy to fund President Joe Biden's $3.5 trillion rebuilding plan. The House released details as Congress speeds ahead to shape the far-reaching package that touches almost all aspects of domestic life. The proposed top tax rate would revert to 39.6% on couples earning more than $400,000, And there would be a 3% tax on wealthier Americans making beyond $5 million a year. The Biden administration says it will give $482 million to aviation manufacturers to help save jobs at companies that are still struggling because of the pandemic. The Transportation Department says companies getting the money must not lay off workers or cut their pay. The government says the money will protect up to 22,500 jobs. The pandemic caused a sharp drop in air travel that reduced demand for new planes. A new study says that up to half of the $14 trillion spent by the Pentagon since 9-11 went to for-profit defense contractors, 
While much of this money went to weapons suppliers, the research is the latest to point to the dependence on contractors for war zone duties as contributing to mission failures in Afghanistan in particular. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Gary Quitman. When it comes to the workings of agriculture, science will always be king. At least that's the thoughts of a Pennsylvania congressman. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. My conversation with G.T. Thompson, who serves as a Republican leader of the House Ag Committee, talked about the importance that science plays in our industry every day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, American agriculture has always been science, technology, and innovation, even from those first settlers uh, all, all across the country who, you know, who were just trying hard to, 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 to survive, right? Uh, survive a growing season, to survive a, uh, a winter, um, you know, and they made changes. It was, it was, it was crude. It was rudimentary, but it was trial and error. And it was, they were, they were trying to do a better job with, with what science they had. And today it's very sophisticated. And so certainly supporting investments in agriculture research, you know, uh, it's always disturbed me that, that uh, the amount of research that we uh, support, which we do well, but it's, it's a small amount when you compare it with like the National Institute for Health. And, and I think everybody understands that there's nothing more fundamental to health than nutrition. And that starts with making sure that, uh, you know, our agriculture practices reflect the best, best management practices, reflects the state of the art. Uh, agriculture, American ag- agriculture is not static. We don't keep doing things the way we've always done it. It's because it is science, technology, and innovation. It's dynamic. And we're always looking for what, what is that next innovation that, that we can do that would increase, uh, you know, the quality of food, increase the efficiency, increase productivity. I mean, the, the one thing that's not changing is the fact that there are more bellies to fill uh, around the globe. And so we, you know, we got to continue to challenge ourselves to, um, you know, to always make sure we're producing what we need and, and the amount that we need it. And, and, uh, and, you know, that provides the nutrition, well, the food and the fiber that the country needs. And then the role that Congressman Thompson plays on the House Ag Committee, I did ask him about his bucket list and some things he would like to see accomplished during this year. Uh, yeah, actually, it's more like a 55-gallon drum than a bucket, <laughs> bucket list. There's a lot out there for American agriculture because that's what I, you know, I, I want to be a leader for all of American agriculture. That's why I'm spending some time here in, in uh, Nebraska here for a couple of days and uh Quite frankly, we've just been a few days in Iowa and Illinois before that. And I, I think that uh, there's a need to look at, uh, well, probably uh, producers and processors, but let's specifically stick with processors for now. What can we do to, you know, when you look at the protein space, you know, we, we had some real disruption of the food supply chain, and, and we're, we're down to just four big food processors. So we need communities, and once again, that are going to have access to local uh, processing facilities, and so the, the question is, what can we do for policy to help our, our small processors? And I would also say our producers, our farms. Uh, the small ones grow to become medium-sized, and the medium-sized become large ones. And uh, so th- those are just a, a few things that are out there. There's obviously our sef- safety net programs are, are important. You know, when you look at, uh, um, you know, you just whether you're dealing with drought, uh, too much rain, too little rain, polar vortexes. 
And that's my conversation with Pennsylvania Congressman G.T. Thompson. He's the ranking Republican on the House Ag Committee. From the setup day of Husker Harvest Days, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on your closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we come into starting off another week, still have the data fresh in our minds from last Friday in the Wazi report, and it just seems a little bit to push back against corn and soybeans, but that soybean parts complex, meal and oil are higher. Is this coming from uh, conditions in the overnight trade or export news? What do we see and help support this market? Well, the oil space has been really beaten down. So if you look at the bean props, the bean rally led by the oil, and on the way back down, it was, it was led by the oil as well. It's been diverging from canola and rapeseed oil in Eastern Europe. I think that's a real, real issue, and, and I would imagine there's going to be significant buyers down here, just given what I know on the, the commercial side. This is essentially where a lot of Q2 purchases happen, so I look for folks to want to buy that market on breaks. There is a... Uh, you know, during of news at this point in the year is kind of in between crops. So until we get frost scare or too much rain, some, something along the lines, I think that would get the market up into a, a tizzy. We kind of just sit here and you know watch uh, watch price drip away day after day. But uh, at this point, I think the lows we saw last week in the high fours, there's big volume down there. I, I expect you'll see some significant support here. Looks like New Orleans is still non-existent in the export space from USDA data available today. Any of your contacts saying when we may have the Gulf back online? Well, there's another storm coming. You know, there's like three tropical depressions that have hit the Gulf Coast within the time frame of that first hurricane. So there's been a lot of moisture. Um, so the poor side of it, no, I haven't heard much. I mean, more than what's been put out there. And then the producer side, I've heard a significant amount of folks squawking about both cotton and soybeans. Uh, that I work with in Louisiana, and at this point, um, you know, Mississippi as well. But the data didn't really reflect that in the last report. So I would imagine that, uh, you know, thanks to crop progress numbers, maybe move the trade early in the session, and we settle in and fall asleep. We sent away. I just see what happened. And finally, John, as we're coming into it as well, the uh, macro market picture as well, a little bit concerned. Fed looking to meet here in the next 10 days. Any concern there for you? No, at this point in time, I think we're, we're where we are through December. Um, CPI data that comes out tomorrow, or that's Thursday. Yeah, tomorrow CPI numbers, they should show that uh, you know, the economy's cooling due to COVID. So they're stuck kind of having to keep rates low and at least the taper full without taking their foot off the gas. So the next thing to watch will be when that happens. And just saw a little of that last week with the Euro. Um, you know, they ended one of their, their bond buying programs. We're still significantly participating, but we'll see how that goes. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. More DanielZagMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading future options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Monday. Catch the Midday Podcast wherever podcasts are available or on KRVN.com.